Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello, welcome to another podcast episode. I'm Jason Grigla on the Autism and Neurodiversity podcast. Today, I want to piggyback off of the discussion I started last time. This one's a little more theoretical or principle-based. I remember having my children come when they were babies, and I I adopted our older boys, so they didn't come as babies. But when, when we had our, our biological daughters and they were children, I remember how awesome it was to enjoy them and all of the wonderful connection and attachment that I was able to have with them because at the time they were doing everything they were supposed to do. Sleep, poop, pee, be totally dependent on me. They didn't have to do anything. There was no expectation. So there was no fears. I could be a proud father knowing that they were everything that they were supposed to be, that I expected them to be, that I wanted them to be. And so many parents who have children with a disability, when they're babies, even then some of them are really hard, but we kind of expect babies to be hard. And when they don't have to perform anything, when they don't have to achieve goals, life is great. And for a lot of parents, they talk about the good old days when their child was just happy-go-lucky and everything was awesome. They were probably way more clueless than their peers, but at some point, their honeymoon phase of life of them being a child ended, and that's when things got hard. But I think about the parents who said, well, I I used to be able to completely enjoy my child, and now it's really hard, and our life is very much based in crises and mitigating crises and waiting for the next crises. And so living in in a... place of fear and hopelessness or trauma or lower brain thinking. And I I think as a parent, I was always unhealthy in my imbalance of taking so much pride in what my child will do, should do, and what they will accomplish. But that as children, babies, toddlers, even even small children, ages five, six, seven, I my expectations were fairly low because I knew what was expected developmentally and in their timeline. So the situation allowed me to enjoy them more. But as soon as my expectations stopped being met, their development stalled out or never happened or regressed in some areas where they were doing good and suddenly they reverted because things started getting in the way, like they started becoming aware of their differences, or they started being rejected and um, neglected, left out, teased, picked on, bullied, whatever, then my expectations aren't met. And now suddenly, because of my pride or because of my love, and I can't handle them being in pain or discomfort, I now go into a reactive fight-or-flight place, fear-based place of problem and 
living in a space of problem. And I think today what I'm really wanting to talk about is that we have a responsibility to be in our higher brain and to be in a good place. And we have a right to enjoy the process. And so as our loved ones start seeking independence, as they start deciding which shoes to wear, as they start seeking to be their own person, have their own identity, their own drip, as my daughter would say, and how they present themselves, that's where problems can start to happen for us as parents. And that's when the conflicts start to come in. And conflicts are fine, differences, but the contention where we're disappointed or frustrated really start to kick in at that place as well. So when when we can handle, okay, they want to wear black all the time, or they want to wear their hoodie all the time, or they want to eat the same food all the time, if we can handle that, but there's a limit to what our ideal is for us and for our child based on our own identity, our own hopes, expectations, dreams. When I really want them to love soccer because I love soccer, I really want them to excel and they don't want to excel. That's when we start to get in trouble. And today I want you to reevaluate and reassess how much of our expectation for their quality of life is just that, our expectation and not theirs. I'm often surprised how comfortable others can be with things that make me completely miserable or uncomfortable. And especially with neurodivergence, they seem to be way out on the fringes of what level of expectation they have for themselves. I think they have really high expectations, too high of expectations, unrealistic, perfectionistic, or overly rigid expectations, and that sets them up for failure, and I can't keep them from that. But at the same time, a lot of times they learn to have no expectations. Maybe it's beaten into them that they're never going to be able to do college because school was so hard, or maybe they they come to believe they're never going to have a romantic relationship because they've never been good at it and they've always been rejected romantically. So what we think is important and could be important for outcomes has nothing to do with what they think is important. So quality of life for others has always been different than ourselves, but it becomes so extreme and outside of the normal um what are they called? The normal bell curve. A normal bell curve is, you know, 80% of us are in the norm. And then there's 10% on each side that are in the extremes. And when our loved ones go into the extremes, we go into often a reactive fight or flight place because we care. We want, we hope, we dream, we have ideals. It's a part of our ego. It's a part of our makeup. As soon as we start expecting outcomes, instead of hoping for outcomes, or as soon as our hopes are contingent, or excuse me, as soon as our our emotional satisfaction is contingent on what they're doing and their quality of life, we have set ourselves up to be out of control of our own peace of mind. As soon as we give others the ability to choose our level of happiness and quality of life for whether or not we're okay, Let me give you an extreme example. If a child has an addiction, 
and they are going to have to work that out on their own because we can't stop them. And the more we try to stop them, the worse it makes it. It's a perfect scenario for where we have to back off and watch them really struggle. And even once in a while, parents have had to watch their children die because of their addiction that we could not save them from. We could not stop it, no matter how much we poured into it financially, emotionally, time-wise, physically. Um, Parents who physically restrain their child from doing things that are harmful only to realize, I can't leave them alone ever. This is not sustainable. Those are some extreme examples, but it's a good reminder when we talk about the extremes of what the principles are. So we can only control us. We can't control them. We can have influence of relationship with them, but there is a limit and a level to what they are going to do. We did not raise our children to be what we wanted them to be. We raised them to become who they want to be. And that is not a great ideal for many of our neurodivergent loved ones. Their ideal is shallow, immature, destructive, unsustainable. And to sit there and watch them have to figure that out in some ways without being willing to let us mentor them is one of the hardest things I do as someone who cares. It breaks my heart to watch them have to kick and beat themselves up and and fight against themselves and shoot themselves in the foot until they learn, which is often the only way that works. I'm thrilled And I look for every opportunity I can to intervene in a way that keeps them feeling like they are the owners of their life, making their own decisions. They emulate me by rebelling and saying, take a hike, I'm making my own decisions. That is how they show us that we have given them everything they're supposed to have, the ability to be autonomous and choose for themselves but the inability often to be autonomous and sustain their lifestyle. So that's hard. It is really hard. I I feel like sometimes I brought my children into the world to become what I want them to be. And to let go of that is a grieving process. And it's a reality that comes up and we usually don't face until it slaps us and we have to wake up and say, oh, wait a minute. I'm having expectations, not wishes. I'm having... Uh, priorities that are setting me up for disappointment in areas that I can't control. Accepting that they will have pain and discomfort is a normal parenting issue. It's not different for anybody. And I don't think our children really expect us to make them comfortable all the time, although they might fight for that. They might say that it's our job to teach them that I, I won't make you comfortable in all things Because as soon as I give you everything you want, instead of let you have what you need to develop and learn how to have muscles and backbone and resilience, then I'm no longer a good parent. I'm no longer focused on your well-being. I'm focused on, I need to be comfortable. I can't watch you be uncomfortable. So I'm going to sacrifice your well-being for my own temporary comfort because I can't stand the thought that maybe I didn't do everything I could to help my child. And I'm just focused on what is actually helpful. So what is helpful is what they need, not what they want. And that's hard. I think when a crisis comes in life in general, like when, for example, in the late 20s, when we went into the Great Depression, people learned that quality of life really didn't come from 
performative things. Maybe it came from being able to perform certain tasks, but many people learned that life can be really hard and different. We can lose our homes and we can still learn to be happy. Viktor Frankl and his insight in his book talked about being in the concentration camps and that nobody could take away his peace of mind. That sense of control, that maturity is what we want to instill in our children. I remember taking away everything from my oldest son so that he could not stay comfortably stuck and not want to get out of his room. I remember him laying in his room with no toys, nothing to do. Everything was gone. There was nothing to goof around with. And he started drawing pictures in the carpet to entertain himself so he didn't have to leave his room. He was determined not to leave his room. He was so miserable, except for he wasn't. I remember him being able to just fill his brain with an escapist mentality that I could never have done because he was raised in a home where there wasn't anything to do. He didn't have any toys. His upbringing until he was about seven consisted largely on taking care of himself, surviving on his own with nothing and being able to being able to entertain himself for hours and hours and hours. And then he used that as a way to stay comfortably stuck and comfortably miserable. It was hard to watch. It was hard to get him out of it. But instead of a punishment approach, what started working was creating an environment where there was something to get out of the house and go do. I got him to go do stuff with me instead of go out and be a normal child and find things to do on your own. But he didn't have the same foundation of attachment to go be with other children. He didn't even have that with me very well. I wasn't good at attaching when he was so hard to attach to behaviorally because he didn't meet my expectations of what he should be doing. So lots of my own stuff got in the way of maximizing success for a child who already had it really hard. And that's what you can control. Learning to have peace in the journey, learning to control what we can control of, our, of ourselves, learning how to maximize success. Allowing the bar to be variable based on reality and being agile enough to shift and switch about our expectations without holding on to pride or fear or goals or ideals that we have for them is a part of surviving this process. Can you shift on a dime and say, well, if college isn't for you, that's okay. Or if college isn't for you yet, that's okay. What do you want to do? Sometimes after you've worked really, really hard and you've done everything you can, be ready to say, okay, this isn't a fail. This was just a learning process. Now we know that that's not a path. We're going to have to find another path. That's exhausting and scary if you counted or put all your eggs in that single basket that once they go to college, I'll get a break. They'll be fine. Everything's going to happen well. I really need it too. And if we have our blinders on and we haven't taken into account their weaknesses, their weakest links. And then we're setting ourselves up for more resentment and disdain. And then our, we're miserable and our loved ones need us to be happy and whole and balanced for them. That requires a lot of maturity on our part. So 
I love and appreciate everything you're doing. And I actually want to talk about that in my next podcast is how much sacrifice and awareness most people don't have for the things that we go through raising children who are out of the bell curve, who are divergent, who are atypical, and who don't meet the status quo. So thanks for all that you do, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. Thank you.